Good morning. Well, that's something. You spend almost a million dollars, right, on a painting, and they shred it. You feel sometimes like that, like life is overlooked, right, that we are overlooked. So today we are going to actually kick off a new series titled Overlooked, and I think probably many of us can relate to that exact words and those exact emotion. So today, though, I want us to pause before we get into our message, because I met with a lady today who's another pastor's wife in the area this week, and she and I were talking, and it was so life-giving to me, and I want to share something that I was reminded about today. How cool that every Sunday we get the opportunity to meet together with other people who love Jesus. That's a blessing. How exciting that if we exited the walls of Crossroads and we drove around Adrian, how exciting that there are other churches that are also meeting with other believers around this city. And how exciting that if we left this church and this city of other churches and we drove in Lenaway County, we'd see the same thing. If we went all over Michigan, we'd see the same thing, that there are buildings holding people who love Jesus and we get to meet together and worship God as a body. And if we left Michigan, we'd see in the nation that there are churches that are meeting all over this country, praising Jesus and worshiping Jesus with other other believers. That is exciting. And that if we left this country and we went all over the world, we'd see people who walk miles and miles with no shoes to meet underground, worshiping Jesus in other areas and on hilltops and in valleys and in rivers, that there are people who love Jesus mile after mile and we get to be part of the body of Christ. That fires me up. So as you can tell, I am passionate, and when I preach, I bring passion. But I am so excited about that truth today. And that has nothing to do with my sermon, but I am so excited about that truth today. The series is called Overlooked, and today we're actually going to start to dig in for the next four weeks about people in the Bible who are overlooked. Characters you may have never heard about in Sunday school, children's church as an adult. You probably have never heard podcasts on these people. These people have barely been mentioned in the Bible. Their story is a snippet, maybe a verse or two. We're going to talk about those people for the next four weeks. And because those people, their lives are meaningful and they have truth to offer us. When I was four years old, my grandmother, we had a sleepover, she was funny. This is my dad's mom. This woman was funny. She was a hoot. She laughed so hard she'd cry all the time at herself. Not anyone else, but at herself. She was really funny to herself. So it'd make us all laugh. But I would go over and we would watch shows together and we'd spend the night. That's why I love the Golden Girls because we'd watch the Golden Girls together. But one night she went rogue and she put on the Discovery Channel and introduced me to twisters and tornadoes. Not cute little ones, ones that like tear through villages and, and eat people alive. She thought this was a good idea. 
at four. Ever since then, I have been fearful of tornadoes. When I was about six or seven, I'm sleeping in the middle of the night in my safety of my bedroom, and I hear <laughs> on our front door. <gasps> my mom's panicking, the dog's barking, dad's panicking. They're trying to hold the dog's mouth from barking. And I'm like, fear, this is, what's going on? And this guy wanted to borrow our bike at two in the morning. Welcome to pastor's lives. Like, it's, it's real insane. But ever since then, I was fearful of people knocking on my door. Before the church moved to Adrian, we had this cute little parsonage on the hill in Hudson behind the cute little white church that we used to meet at before we went on our journey into Adrian. And my dad would say, Keisha, go down to the office and get me whatever he needed. There were trees around where we lived, and I thought they were like forests with bears and lions and tigers. And he'd do this at like what felt like midnight. He'd tell me to go do this. And it felt like I had to walk three miles uphill both ways in order to get to the church. And he'd send me on my way. And I, fumbling with the keys, and they had these stupid metal doors that were terrible to get open. And I, I, I'm, they're the bears, they're watching me. And I try to get in. And then I believed that someone lived in the church that we didn't know about that they were like sleeping there and they were like spying on me and I'd get whatever dad needed and I like couldn't get the doors locked and then I would run three miles back uphill both ways just to get to the garage door. And ever since then, I've been afraid of the dark. I was a good student in school. I listened, I was well-behaved, I liked people, I followed the rules and one day I got called down to the principal's office and I thought, what did I do? What did he find out? What trouble did I get in? And I go in and I am terrified that I'm in trouble. And he says, Keisha, we're rewarding you for exceptional behavior. Please pick a prize out of the box. And ever since then, I've been fearful of getting in trouble. When I got older, after visiting Brandon, when we were dating, I would pull my 1985 Honda Accord, because I was cool like that. <laughs> and it was a stick shift, which I was really cool. And I drove well, thank you very much. And I would pull over... And it was dark, oh, because you know you stay up to like two in the morning when you're dating because like you don't understand. So like I was so tired and I was like, okay, the wolves are there. They're outside the wolves. And I'd count, I'd take a deep breath. Okay, Keisha, you can do this. And I'd count and I'd jump out of the Honda Accord and I would have to lock it because my dad would say people could break in. So I'm terrified of that. And I'm putting the locks down because it's a 1985 Honda Accord. You can't lock it with anything manual, you know? So I, I'm doing the locks and I'm running to the house because the pack of wolves have been congregating to eat me all night. And ever since then, I've been fearful of animals eating me. I don't like to sleep with my feet hanging out of the bed because the monsters that I don't believe in could grab me. I am fearful of monsters. When Brandon and I first got married, he worked a lot of evenings, so I thought it was a good idea to get addicted to a TV show, so I watched Criminal Minds. And I would binge watch Criminal Minds. And I would, you know, it's about murder and abductions and kidnappings and like chaining people up to terrible things. And I watched this religiously. And I could not leave the house for months because I was pretty certain that someone was going to abduct me and murder me or burn me down or lock me with a little chain and bring me a stale bagel through a door wearing a creepy animal mask and having to, you know, go potty in a corner in a coffee cup or something like Ever since then, I was fearful the TV show I loved would become reality. I had kids. I believed everything was a threat. I became fearful of everything. I had a dream about preaching this week, no joke. 
And I left you people in the crowd and I went to go teach the kids. P.S. We need more help in kids ministry. It's a great opportunity. So I had actually had a, I actually had a pause and I had to go preach to the children. And then I left you here for a half hour and I came back in your pews. You're all in your pews. And I was terrified because you all were looking at me and no one was laughing. I didn't know what I was talking about and I left my papers and it was a jumbled mess. And I was fearful that my dream would become reality. Fear. Fear, fear. Some of my fears may seem ridiculous to you, but if you're a person, you have your own fears. I don't have to explain fear to you. Fear is paralyzing. It's overwhelming, but it's so common. Here are some strange fears that I found this week. Optnophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. I will be able to tell who has that fear today. I will be looking. Nomophobia, the fear of not having your phone or it being not charged or misplacing it. Some of you are like, oh, is my phone on me right now? <laughs> Chorophobia, the fear of dancing. Some of you should have this fear. <laughs> Spectrophobia, the fear of mirrors in one's own reflection. Ah, like when you go in the mirror, you know you have it when you scream at yourself. Xanthophobia, the fear of the color yellow. Turophobia, the fear of cheese. I just can't understand this one. I don't understand the fear of cheese. I also don't understand this next one. Somnophobia, the fear of falling asleep. It's a fear. Omphalophobia, the fear of the belly button. Isn't that interesting? Ombrophobia, the fear of rain. Sesquipedilophobia, the fear of long words. Note, this word is 18 letters long. <laughs> Plutophobia, the fear of money. Papophobia, the fear of the Pope. Pogonophobia, the fear of beards. Jellyophobia, the fear of laughter. Symmetrophobia, the fear of symmetry. Uranophobia, the fear of heaven. Tripophobia, the fear of holes. I have a friend that has this one. It's really fun to show her pictures of holes in skin, specifically. Um, genophobia, fear of knees. Kakarahafiaphobia, fear of failure. And phobophobia, the fear of having a phobia. <laughs> so none of us need help coming up with fears, right? We all have them. We could make a list of them. The truth is, though, that fear is very, very powerful. Fear can breed cowards or fear can breed warriors. We get the choice. So the story we're actually going to study today is about five people who have been overlooked. Five people in the Bible that are not very well known, but when faced with a situation that would create fear, they chose to move forward in courage. And then a story of one person, when faced with fear, let it control everything. So we find ourselves in Exodus 1, and they're going to show it. I really wanted them to put it in the bulletin, but um, the sweet secretary, Sarah, told me that actually none of you could read it if we put it all in the bulletin, like, because it's that much. So I saved your eyeballs. Well, she saved your eyeballs. Thank her. So we're going to put it up here on the screen. In Exodus 1, the beginning of our story, they're actually kind of reflecting on Joseph in Genesis, right? And Joseph, if you remember, he was the brother... Hebrew, was favored by his son. Everyone loved him. He was giving a multicolored coat. His brothers actually hated him, wanted him to go away. So they sold him into slavery, accused of rape, thrown in jail, 
then appointed by Pharaoh's by Pharaoh to be a second-hand man, played by Donnie Osmond, huh? You remember Joseph? So Joseph, and they're actually wrapping this up and reflecting that Joseph actually, they're all dead, him and his brothers. It's been years and years. But in Exodus, it talks about that the years have passed and the Hebrew people have multiplied and their population was exploding. It also states that a new Pharaoh is in command. And it says that he's not even heard about Joseph. Isn't it interesting how sometimes we don't want to hear about history, but it would probably have been beneficial for him to know about history, but he has no idea about the history between Egypt and the Hebrew people. He just doesn't know. In fact, he doesn't even like the Hebrew people. He is so bothered that there's so many of them. It says in Exodus 1 that he, Pharaoh, spoke to his people in alarm. You know what alarm means? Oh, I'm anxious. I'm nervous. I'm fearful. Oh, okay. We have something to talk about here, guys. And he says to them, there are way too many of these Israelites for us to handle. We've got to do something. Let's devise a plan to contain them. Lest if there's a war, they should join our enemies or just walk off and leave us. We see here that Pharaoh is triggered. He becomes fearful, right? It takes a trigger. I listed a lot of my triggers. A trigger, we have fear, and he does what so many of us do. He starts hopping down bunny trails. Oh my goodness, and he creates scenarios. If this happens and this happens, and he's like, but the people, too many. They, the people come over, they take over, they, 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 they ruin us. I lose my spot as powerful king. Now he's so terrified. His fear starts to change his direction and dictate his course. And then his fear starts to take over reality. And it goes on to say, so they organized them into work gangs and put them to hard labor under gang foremen. But the harder the Egyptians, the Egyptians, that's not a word. Egyptians is a word. Egyptians worked, the more the children of Israelites they had. So they had children. They kept popping out babies. It says children everywhere. This is kind of funny to me. Like Pharaoh thinks his plan will make the slaves will have to keep working so hard it's going to like drop their testosterone or something. Like he's like, we're going to with work. But guess what? They kept populating. So the Israelites either had really good premarital counseling or they had some kind of special aphrodisiac that they just kept going. And they just kept reproducing. And it ticked Pharaoh off more. And the Egyptians, he made them work harder. And it was miserable work. They piled on the work, crushing them under the workload, it says in Exodus. So then Pharaoh realizes that this isn't working. That they keep working them harder, yet these people, they keep reproducing. And he is ticked. His fear is now anger. So remember, his fear has created this scenario of a takeover. He feels threatened. His insecurities are flared. His fear has him believing that if he doesn't stop the Hebrew people, that he will lose his, his plan and that there could be a takeover. Again, his fear dictates his decisions. So he calls two Hebrew midwives. Enter the overlooked. Shipra and Pua. The only time we read these two names in the Bible, the only time Shipra and Pua are mentioned in this one teeny tiny verse in Exodus, midwives. He tells them that when they're delivering the Hebrew babies to do what every OB nurse midwife does, right? When you say it's a, if it's a boy, kill him. 
Kill all the boy Hebrews. Kill them all. If it's a girl, fine, let her live. But if it's a Hebrew baby boy because he thinks that these are the ones that are going to reproduce more and more, kill them. Get rid of the male Hebrew babies. Shipra and Pua, Hebrew midwives, are brought before the powerful Pharaoh, the king. He's ticked, he's fearful, he has an agenda. He's ready to crush Hebrew men with hard labor. He's ready to kill innocent baby boys in cold blood. He could do anything if pushed. These women were ordered by a king to do a very specific job. I'm sure it crossed their mind of what could happen if the orders were not obeyed, right? I'm sure fear crept in. I'm sure that fear of what could happen or what if or what if we don't started to root in their minds. But it says this in verse 17. But the midwives had far too much respect for God and didn't do what the king of Egypt ordered. They let the baby boys live. That is amazing. So Pharaoh, earlier we see, let fear rule. He let fear win. He let fear dictate his steps. But the midwives, even though fear was more than likely present, let God rule. They didn't let fear overtake their actions, and they did not let fear dictate their steps. But they let God they did not put stock in fear, but they put their fear and trust in God. And they did what was right, even when faced with uncertainty. And like we expect, Pharaoh notices, right? Because the baby boys are still being born and no one's dead. So he notices that these Hebrew baby boys are still coming out. So he doesn't have to wonder who's responsible for it. He knows, the midwives. So he calls Shipra and Pua back in and he says, and as you can imagine, he's probably not very happy. Maybe it is because I'm a fear-driven person, but I, I'll go into a principal's office was worse enough. I can't imagine the king calling me back in after I disobeyed his order, right? And they have to go back into this king who's craving innocent blood and is wondering why I've let his orders down. Like, I can't fathom that kind of fear. And so he knows that they disobeyed his orders. I'm sure they wrestled with the fear, but they remained steadfast. They chose courage and bravery. They chose God and God's ways. They answer him with this. The Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous. <laughs> Before the midwives can get there, They've already had the baby. This is their response. Now, I'm not going to go into the morality of lying is ever okay. But these women who feared God and were ordered to kill, they twist the truth. They're bold. They're letting them live on purpose. But they said, oh, these Israelite women, man, they are good at delivering babies. They're so fast, we can't even get there in time. They are bold, they are brave, they look fear in the face and they introduce their fear to their God. And when fear could have taken over, they chose to move forward despite it. They chose to be brave and follow God, not follow their fear. So Exodus continues with saying, God was pleased with the midwives. The people continued to increase in numbers a very strong people, so not weaklings, like they're producing strong people. And because the midwives honored God, God gave them families of their own. So if Shipra and Pua would have let fear dictate their actions, if they would have followed Pharaoh because they were fearful of the what if if they didn't, God's people would have been in a genocide. 
The Hebrew people, God's chosen people, would have lost grown men and newborn babies, both present and future generations. They would have been pushed backwards. It would have possibly began a deterioration of God's chosen people. But instead of letting fear grip them, Shipra and Pua were connected to God and feared him. They stood up for what was right, not what was safe. They chose to lean in to discomfort and chose to move forward in fear. They did not live by fear. They lived by God. So friends, the story gets even better because I told you five overlooked. We've only met two. So let's meet the others. Exodus chapter one ends with this. So Pharaoh issued a general order to all his people, every boy that is born, drown him in the Nile, but let the girls live. So Shiprapua were given an order. They like blocked him. So he's like, well, I'm gonna go bigger. So he widened his circle and he told everyone, this is the order, kill the Hebrew baby boys and drown them in the Nile. What a sick man. You see what fear does to us, though? It makes us act irrationally. It tricks us. So now all the people are aware of Pharaoh's fear and his overall plan. The king wants the Hebrews to suffer. He wants their bloodline stopped, and he won't even stop at murder. So he keeps driving him, this fear. It's driving what he's doing and where he's going. And now he's involving more people in this story. So during this order, a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman and she got pregnant. Can you imagine the fear that these women had getting pregnant as Hebrew women? Like, if Pharaoh's throwing a tantrum, and we know what the rules are now if Pharaoh's throwing his little tantrum about my baby, like, you would not be excited for gender reveal parties. You would not at this point. Like, I am sure that their stress levels were so high when they were pregnant because they were so scared that they were going to have a boy and what that meant for them. So she goes to have her baby and guess what? Dun, dun, dun. It's a boy. A joyous occasion turned into a moment of fear. A celebration turns into a hidden song. This mom looks at her son and in Exodus chapter two says that she saw there was something special about him and hid. Well, duh. Every mom looks at their baby, right? And says, there's something special about them. But she was a typical mom and she loved her little boy. And guess what? She did not want him to be killed. So she hid him. For three months, she hid him. Have you met a baby? They are loud. They scream very loud for little things. And for three months, she's probably wondering, what if, looking over her shoulder, what if this person spread the news that I had a boy? Maybe she just like popped a bow on his head and called it good. I don't know. But for three months, she hid her son because of fear of what could happen. Yet, she still acts. Fear doesn't win. She, if she doesn't let it hold her back, she still moves forward. She's driven by faith, not fear. She must have felt fear, right? Because she's a person. She must have felt fear. But instead, what she does is she makes this little basket boat thingy, bobber, and she puts tar pitch, tar and pitch in it to waterproof it. So smart. And she places it in the river with a child in it. And it says she set it afloat in the reeds at the edge of the Nile. 
Fear and faith were both present in her. As a mom myself, knowing my son is wanted for death would be terrifying, but she had faith. She placed her son in a basket and sent him down the river. The same river, we're told, Pharaoh tells people to drown the babies in. The same river. She might have felt fear, but her faith propelled her. So this little boy's sister then comes into the scene and follows him. She's like peeking like ninja style through the reeds, watching what this is going to happen to her little boy, her little brother that she loves so much. So she watches him float down the river until he's near where the royalty bathe in the Nile. The same royalty that have issued an order to kill Hebrew baby boys. So now this basket ends up near the royalty. She loves her brother so much that she doesn't run, she stays, even with the royalty there. And as she's watching her brother, who does she see? Pharaoh's daughter enters the scene. I think of her as like a movie star, I don't know, I just picture her like that. And so she like enters the scene. She's going to bathe into the Nile River and she sees something in the Nile, a basket. She sends her maid to fetch it. And when she opens the basket, she sees a baby crying. Her heart went out to him, it says in Exodus 2, 6. And she said, this must be one of the Hebrew babies. So let's pause. This boy's mom hides him, faithfully sends him on the river, hoping for the best. This boy's sister risks her own life by stepping out into the river to follow her brother. And now Pharaoh's daughter herself feels empathy for this baby, a Hebrew baby boy. So Exodus 2, verse 7 through 10 reads this. Then his sister was before her. Do you want me to go and get a nursing mother for the Hebrews so she can nurse the baby for you? Pharaoh's daughter said, yes, go. Then the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter told her, take this baby and nurse him for me. I'll pay you. The woman took the child and nursed him. After the child was weaned, she presented him to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her son. She named him Moses, meaning pulled out, saying, I pulled him out of the water. So let's unpack this. Pharaoh's daughter knows what's going on in the area around her. She's the daughter of Pharaoh. She knows her dad is going on crazy right now, right? He has declared orders. He, she knows her dad's strategies and his agenda. She's also fully aware of what her dad has ordered, that her dad has ordered everyone to kill Hebrew baby boys and drown them in the Nile. She's bathing in the Nile at this exact moment finds a basket, inside a basket's a Hebrew baby boy. She knows the orders given by daddy. She knows. She knows to drown them. The same river she is currently standing in, she is now holding a Hebrew baby in, and she could have easily flipped that flimsy basket over into the Nile, walked away, and let that baby boy drown following daddy's orders. But she doesn't. She doesn't. She does the exact opposite. She's not living life out of fear of daddy or what he would do. She's living it out of love. She didn't follow her father's fear, but she did what was right despite the what if. The boldness of these women continues. The boy's sister comes forward out of the reeds in front of Pharaoh's daughter and says, hey, I know someone who could nurse him. My mom, his mom, right, bizarre. She comes out of this. She's so smart. She brings back this boy's mama. Funny, she needs someone to nurse him because 
she's got the milk for this exact baby. So then Pharaoh's daughter says, I'm going to pay you. So now she gets money to feed her own baby. Like crazy, right? And then this sweet mommy gets her boy back for a bit. And I looked it up and I researched this and they said for two extra years, she got her son back. That's cool stuff right here. So then the Hebrew boy, born in a season of fear, was adopted into the same family that ordered his death. He became the grandson of the same man who feared and wanted to deny him life. Hey, Grandpa, tell me the story of when I came into your family. Like, that would be an interesting family conversation, right? But this little boy now, so five women, multiple unnamed, all five women had reasons to fear, reasons to live in fear and let fear dictate what they did. Yet all five women, despite fear, did what was right. All five women denied fear of voice and moved forward. These are warriors right here. They didn't let fear set the pace, but they let faith and love speak louder than their fear. And I don't know if any of you caught this, but this little boy, this adopted grandson of Pharaoh, this Hebrew was Moses. How many of you have heard of Moses? Yes. Moses, he's not an overlooked character of the Bible. Moses, a character that most of us Christians and non-Christians alike have heard. This is the same Moses who went toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, not his grandpa, but his brother Pharaoh, and urged him to free God's people. The Israelites, you know the same ones that are in slavery right now? This was the same Moses who God used to bring plagues on the Egyptian people, who finally got Pharaoh to agree to let God's people go, then was chased to the Red Sea, the same Moses that God used to part the Red Sea, to get the Israelites out, to drown the Egyptians. The same man, the same Moses, who led the people for 40 years wandering in the desert, the same Moses that the promised land was promised to, the same Moses who talked to God in a burning bush and was on holy ground, the same Moses that God gave the Ten Commandments to. If not for five women that said no to fear and yes to faith, Moses would not have taken his first breath. Moses would not have seen four months or two years. Fear set the scene, but faith changed the trajectory. What we can learn from Pharaoh and the overlooked in this story is this. This is where your bulletins will come in handy. Fear can either make us react or lead us to respond. Fear is a thread throughout this story. Unknown situations, change, what ifs. Fear was ignited Situations that were challenging and hard, and and, and fear literally offered them life or death situations. But it leaves us with two options. We can react or we can respond. Pharaoh reacted. He let emotion drive him. He let fear be his engine. He did everything he did out of fear. Or we can let fear lead us to a response. We don't have to let it speak loudly, even when it's there. We still have a choice to be brave and courageous. I think about warriors back in the day, hand-to-hand combat, actually walking into a battlefield, knowing beyond the clearing they're going to have to literally engage in hand-to-hand combat and fight to death. You, don't, you think these people had no fear? Absolutely not, they did. Of course. 
They had fear, but you know what? They put one foot in front of the other. That's what fear is, is when we still move forward, that actually equals courage and bravery. That is a brave warrior. It means you move forward despite your fear. It means you move forward even when you have fear. Another thing we can learn from this story is this. When fear dictates our life, we lose. This past fall, I was experiencing some terrible, terrible panic and fear. It took me almost about a year to come out from underneath it. It was paralyzing. It almost took everything away. It, my safety, my energy, my motivation. It, it made me not want to use my gifts, my talents. It made me literally just want to stay in my house. Every day was a challenge for me. The fear would not leave me alone. And I lost life. I lost my courage. I lost my energy, my motivation. I lost the desire to use my gifts. Pharaoh lost a lot too. He lost his direction and his purpose. He had the ability to lead and lead well, but he didn't choose that. He lost himself. Fear is not from God. Fear is a liar. It is a weapon used by the devil. The Bible speaks about fear often. It says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. God does not operate in fear. That's not how he works. This world will always have fear-producing situations. But I don't know if you know this, but the Bible is clear on this situation. Who wins at the end? John 16, says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Not fear, but peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Not I will overcome, I have overcome the world. Did you hear that? There will be trouble. This world throws a lot of trouble at us, but he has overcome the world. So why fear? Why live in fear when we serve a big God? A God that is beyond our thoughts, beyond what we can fathom. A God that could do whatever he wanted, but what he wanted was relationship. A God that is a trinity, three in one. A God that sent his son to earth to break through cultural norms and lead with love. A God that literally died for us and was raised from life. This is the God we serve. That is the power we are connected to. So let me ask you again, why fear? Why fear the what ifs and the unknowns when we have that kind of power living inside of us as followers of Jesus? Why fear? Why not be brave? Why not be courageous? Why not stand up for the weak and the vulnerable? Why not love all people? Why not go to uncomfortable situations? Why not do hard things and challenging things and discomfort? Why not? Why fear? When we have this kind of God, why fear? Because fear has no place in the presence of God. You cannot have them both on the throne. One will trump the other. And let me ask you this, does your life reflect a big God or big fear? Because unfortunately, mine a lot of the time reflects big fear. I am a fearful person. I am driven by fear. Fear will keep us from living the way God intended us to live. 
It steals, it destroys, it breaks us down, it sits us down, it shuts us up. We have too much in this kingdom to let fear rule over us. God commanded us, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Remember the midwives? They didn't let fear speak loudly. They silenced it. They let God be the voice they listened to. Their faith saved a nation. Fear will take away from you and from your purpose, from what God has intended to use you for. What is fear keeping you from? What is it in your life that fear is keeping you from? For me, fear keeps me from living well. It keeps me from stepping out in faith. It keeps me from using my gifts to their fullness. It keeps me from living for God. It silences me. What is your fear keeping you from? From loving big, from speaking up, from questioning, from stepping out, from staying where you're planted, from using your gifts, from reconciling this relationship, from being honest, from trying something new, from dreaming. What is fear keeping you from? The devil loves fear. He's in the corner clapping. When fear speaks loud, he's like, yes, it does. He loves this because what he knows Fear and God can't reign on the same throne. It doesn't mean fear can't be present, but it must never be the biggest voice and it must never be the strongest presence. The devil rejoices when we let fear take over because he knows that if fear takes over, God doesn't get to. We have a choice. Are you living in fear? Are you letting it win? Is it time to take that step out of fear and move forward like a warrior? Is it time to move beyond the fear and faith? If you call yourself a follower, then you are connected to a big and powerful God that has big and powerful plans for you. He has a purpose for you, but it requires stepping out in the fear and moving forward. If you haven't felt fear lately or an uncomfortable situation, then you're not, probably not putting yourself in situations where you're able to grow. If you're like, I don't remember the last time I was uncomfortable. Well, make yourself. Put yourself in hard situations. Put yourself around people that make you uncomfortable. Put yourself around people who aren't like you. Put yourself in those positions. And then follow God through that. Is it time for you to connect to the power that you say is living in you? God doesn't call us to live comfortable lives. He calls us to live a life despite fear, a life that reflects a God that has overcome the world, a life that steps out and uses their voice, their stances, their love, their service, their bravery, their courage, their gifts to bring heaven on earth, to move mountains, to expect God to do God things. Not a life that trembles like a little baby in the corner just hoping to blend in, hoping to remain comfortable. God is calling you out of the corner, friend. He has big things for you. He has gifts in you, and he's ready to use you. But he needs you to move forward. He needs you to leave the corner and leave the fear behind and move forward. He needs warriors. 
He needs bold followers. He needs you. He has a lot to accomplish. He has so many people that he needs rescued here on this earth. He needs you. Brave, brave warriors. There is a difference. We get to choose. Leave fear, move forward. Scripture says he goes ahead of us personally. Isn't that a cool thing? That right there is a verse that I have written in my kitchen. This be strong and courageous. Do not fear and do not panic before them for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He's fighting the battle. He just wants you to give his battle back. But you need to move forward and he'll meet you there in the battle. Don't let fear win. Don't let fear speak out. We need you. We need us to be brave and not live in fear. Will you please pray with me? Jesus, we are a people that have a lot of emotion, and you know, because you created us. But fear is one of those that we really, it can really lie to us and twist us and defeat us, and it can keep us in a corner and living a life of comfort. And fear can convince us that we want comfort, and fear can convince us that safety is the best way. But Jesus, you call for people to be brave, to feel fear and move forward. And I'm asking God that you shake us up. Oh, I don't wanna be a complacent Jesus follower. I don't, but I am a lot of the times because I just want comfort. Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me. Shake us up, urge us on. Help us to fight through things that are uncomfortable and let faith lead us out of the corner. We trust you because you have overcome the world. For those of you maybe who have never met Jesus, he's powerful. And he could have whatever he wanted, but what he wanted was you. He wanted a relationship with you. So he came to this earth to die for you, to take on all your wrongdoings, and he died with them and rose again because he wants you. That's it. He wants a relationship with you now so he can have a relationship with you forever. It's so simple and beautiful. We don't have to do anything special. We just have to choose to follow him. So if you've never made that decision, please pray after me. Jesus, I have made a lot of wrong choices in my life. And I don't have this power in me. But Jesus, I want you to come into my life to save me, to forgive me, to take over my life. I want to follow you. I want you to be the leader of my life. I want to spend eternity with you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for conviction. Thank you for your power. In Jesus' name, amen.